Welcome to 2024, everyone. Can you believe it's 2024? I know. <laughs> I had an amazing year in 2023, so many exciting adventures with the Boat Princess and uh, boating in general around the world. And 2024 is set to be just as exciting. So I look forward to sharing much of that with you on my Instagram at The Boat Princess, uh, sharing with you some incredible stories from incredible people in 2024 all over the world. Take care, guys, and I'll see you on the water soon. Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I'm still at Met's Trade and I'm talking to Alicia Storr, who's Chief Operating Officer at DSNM and their tagline is Super Yacht Navigation Perfected. Hello, Alicia. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, are you enjoying Met's Trade? Yeah, it's been fantastic so far. This is, um, I think, maybe my fifth year of coming, but our first year with a stand. Normally, we just run around and try and catch up with clients, but this year we have a stand and it's been brilliant. We've seen so many clients already, which is fantastic. Fantastic. So tell me exactly what DSNM does. Uh, okay, so in a nutshell, we are a superior navigation management company. We help boats go from A to B safely. Uh, we supply paper charts, digital charting, all the books and navigation equipment that boats need. And we also have a software called Compass, which uh, basically is the glue that holds all of those things together and helps keep the crew safe and make their job as easy as possible. Yeah, I was reading about your company. You even store their their paper charts we for do. them. We yeah, do, yeah, yeah. We have um, a storage unit in our office. Uh, so when boats aren't using charts for certain parts of the world, they can send them back and we store them free of charge. So we have this big, big room with a load of paper charts in. Yeah, very <laughs> <Can> exciting. <imagine>. <laughs> Take some weight off the boat that, for them. Though. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of the boats on the bridge, they don't have room to store um, paper charts for the whole world. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very useful service. And also then it means when they want the charts, we can correct them before we send them back, uh, which saves them a lot of time. And if you're a busy charter boat or you have a very busy owner, often you just don't have the time to do that to prep for the next season. So we still have a very busy corrector 
Um, one of the guys who works for us, Duncan, he hand applies all the chart corrections and then we send them out ready to go. So the boat can literally open the box and get going. Wow, that's fantastic service. Yeah. So just to explain to our listeners that may sure. not have that knowledge about correcting and so on, just explain a little bit more precisely for me what that means exactly. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, the paper charts that basically cover the whole world, um, things change in the sea. Obviously things fall in the sea, crash in the sea, you know, things change. So um, Storms create different exactly, depths. Exactly, sort of exactly. Um, so uh, corrections are issued for the charts, which basically just amend areas or places of danger or things that have been built or, and you ha have to take a tiny, tiny pen and you actually have to hand apply those to the charts. So corrections are issued maybe weekly and you have to check what charts you have on board or what you're using and check if there's any corrections that you need to apply. And our software actually sort of runs all that for you. So you can just click a button and it will tell you what corrections have been issued you can print them out and you can hand apply them. Amazing. Yeah. Very okay. old school. Yeah. So where does, where does that software connect to? So um, it's, if you imagine it's sort of like a database of everything you have on board. So if you were a boat that cruises the med for the summer, all your charts, your books, um, all your licenses for digital charting, if you, if you run digital charts instead of paper, are all stored on that system. And within our company, you have a yacht manager who basically has a mirror of what you run. It's online. It's actually cloud-based. Um, and the boat has a login. And, and that yacht manager is sort of like a PA for navigation. So they would go on and say, oh, this book has expired. You need a new version of it. And, and we send it out. And the boats have to keep up to date with all of this stuff to keep them compliant. So we sort of take that worry away from them because we tell them what they need when they sort of need updates and things. But also the the software can, you can do passage planning, you can look at weather. So we've tried to make it encompass everything with navigation so that on the bridge, the navigating officer can literally switch it on, plan their trip, see what books they need, see what chart corrections they need. And it's all just in one place. Wow. So is that, is that on a laptop? Is it on the You can run it on any device. System? Where, yeah. where is it? Anything. You okay. can use it on your phone, on a laptop, on an iPad, because it's online. So it's the first online system. Fantastic. So it's different to the Raymarine screen, the Garmin screen yeah, that's in the helm. Yeah, there are actually ways to navigate, whereas this is a management tool that has every, all your sort of items placed in one place. So you don't actually use it to drive the boat. You use it to do all the, the prep and all the planning before, which is equally important if you want to stay out of trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And how quick is it to say you've, you've chotted that you, you've, um, you've planned that trip and then suddenly the weather turns incredibly. Yeah. Um, how quick is it to, to change that? For yeah. The so weather is a really interesting, well, interesting to some interesting to us at the moment, because actually with, um, there's been an announcement that paper charting will be removed from production by 2030. If that happens, we'll all be surprised, but that is the announcement from the UK HO. So a lot of boats now are looking forward to digital charting, changing out their bridges for different systems, et cetera. And one of the things when David and I sort of came up with the idea of Compass was that it was very much about paper chart correction management. But obviously if 
they're going, then we've had to adapt and think about a new future for it. Um, so we've went to our clients, we've got 575 clients and majority of them are very happy to help us with development. We went, we said, okay, we need to look at adapting the software moving forward. What things as navigating officers or captains do you want to see? And actually a lot of the captains who maybe don't necessarily drive the boat so much anymore because they have a navigating officer or chief officer who does, they say that we need weather, forget everything else. If we have the boss on, we need to know the weather because no one wants to take their boss out in bad weather. Also, if we're transiting from one place to another, the weather is so important. So what we've tried to do is now make Compass more of a management tool that all the bridge crew can use. And you use it as a planning tool as much as you would to maintain your charts and, and navigating equipment, basically. And I guess it's becoming more and more important because weather is becoming... Crazy, yeah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we were at a client dinner last night, and um, one of the the boats we look after, they've been trying to leave Amsterdam for about two weeks now. They want to go down and uh, stop somewhere on the way over to the Caribbean, but the storm sort of is following them a bit, so they've had to wait and they've had to wait and they've had to wait, and they're hopefully leaving tomorrow. So yeah, you're right; it's so important, not just for the safety of the crew, which obviously is the priority, safety of the boat, but also the owner's experience, which is so important. Mm -hmm. So I guess if they're talking about taking paper charts away altogether, yeah, uh, there's going to be have to be some sort of offline system, isn't there, if, for there's, if everything goes down, right? Well, yeah. Well, so if you, if you don't run paper charts now, there are vessels that don't run with paper at all, and they're called digital primary, and uh, they would run a digital system only. But there are some rules that you have to abide by to be able to do that. You have to have backup systems. You have to have certain training and things like that. So it's not as just as easy as saying, I'm not going to use paper anymore. I'm just going to use um, digital. You have to have dual screens and backup systems because obviously technology does go down. What we usually find is a digital primary boat will run mainly with their digital charts, but they will still carry a few paper charts mm. just in case. Yeah, yeah, because... Yeah, but it's interesting because there's a lot of vessels at the moment and um, we actually have another company that does bridge hardware for exactly this reason because when the announcement came, so many vessels came to us and said, well, we're 45 meters. Our bridge won't fit what we need. What will we do? Mm. So there's this huge discussion at the moment about what will happen. So as I say, originally it was 2026. I think they said that paper charts would be completely gone. Now they've moved it to 2030. So there is more time. And and who determines that? Who, who says that? Um, the UKHO, which is okay. the governing body of uh, paper charts. They're based in the UK and they are the sort of main charting agent. They're um, owned by the government. Right. So we work very closely with them. We're one of their biggest distributors. We print their charts in-house. We've worked with them for 23 years and we're one of their biggest clients for super yachts. Um, but even they're sort of coming to us and saying, what's the feedback from the announcement? And there are a lot of vessels that are concerned. And I think that's why they've moved it back. But we're working hard to make sure everyone is set for 2030. But so just we'll to understand this in my head, is that a government body that's trying to get rid of that cost? Yeah. So what's yeah. happened, I mean, in fairness to them, they've, they've over the last few years, um, been doing a lot of number crunching and actually paper charts are going down in popularity because newer boats coming out, younger captains, 
younger chief officers. There is a cultural shift um, in the way that people want to navigate. There are still a lot of people that want paper though, and there's a lot of vessels that maybe need paper. Um, but yeah, they, they've given us some stats. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but over the last few years, there's been sort of a 15 to 20% decrease each year in, um, in products being bought. Mm. And I think the problem is, is that because it's not, you just print the chart and that's it, you print it and it has to be maintained with correcting. You have to obviously have a team managing paper products. For them, the cost in five years perhaps will outweigh the profit they make. So like any business and they are a business, they are just thinking to the future. Yeah, so. yeah. So tell me, I'm gonna go back a bit now. Okay. You um, are enjoying this role as chief operating officer in yes. this company. <laughs> Let's start the story of of how you got there. So, okay. what, what was your? It's a good one. Was, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what was your education to start uh, with? So, I went to uh, Catholic school, did my GCSEs, did A levels, uh, then applied for university. I wanted to go into business. I took a gap year, started working, loved working, started earning money decided that actually university wouldn't perhaps be for me. So then I took another gap year and then I'd then got a job um, where I could travel. So I was about 19 or 20 and I loved it. So I never went to university, which was the best decision for me. Um, I worked for Sunseeker, which I don't know if you know, they're based in oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, massive so, company. So um, I worked for the brokerage and that was my first sort of taste of super yachts. Although the boats they were building them were a lot smaller. I can't remember the biggest they were building, but I think it was around the 22 meter mark. I could be mm. wrong because obviously it was a long time ago. My memory's not so great. <laughs> um, and they that was bigger and bigger, Sunseeker. So, yeah. And they were, do yeah. you know what was interesting is as I was sort of leaving there, um, because I loved the role, but it was quite contained. It was a very small team. And I just felt like there wasn't much direction I could go in. Um, I got great experience, worked with lovely people. But when I was leaving, uh, they were just starting to do the drawings of, I think, the first 24-meter boat. So this must have been, how old am I now? So maybe like 18 years ago. And obviously now they've, you know, they're building big boats and they've been bought out and sold and bought out and sold. But yeah, so I did that. And then um, a couple of other things around the same sort of genre. And then I met my now husband, David, Dave, uh, and he uh, had a small navigation management company with his sister working for him and his auntie doing the accounts. And we'd been dating only a few months and uh, we ended up getting engaged very quickly. And then his sister was pregnant and he asked me to cover her maternity leave. And at the time, I think I was sort of not really enjoying the role I was doing. It wasn't gonna be my career. So very apprehensively, I said yes, because we were still quite new as a couple. I said, okay, but I'm only doing the six months and you're not the boss of me. And you know, <laughs> I'm coming to help out and within the six months that his sister was on maternity leave, it became apparent really quickly that actually we worked very well together. And I really loved the job. And because him and I are such different people, we came at things from such different ways that we grew the company, even in the six months she was off, we went from sort of 30 clients, I don't know, to 50. Fantastic. So he said, would I stay? 
So I said, okay, we'll try and we'll see how it goes. And that was 16 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well done you. I know. I know. <laughs> Working with your partner, I think I do deserve a medal. But mm. So he, I mean, then it was much smaller, obviously. We're now 25 staff and 570 clients. So things have sort of just grown organically. But I've done practically every role within the company because obviously when there's three of you, you do everything. I pack boxes. I did accounts. I, you know, managed a, cl a client base of my own. I updated books. I packed up flags, just everything. Um, back then we didn't really do things like marketing or advertising or anything like that. But over the last 16 years, I've done practically every role, which is amazing because it gives me such a great view now of all our staff, because I have a different understanding of everybody's role because at one point I've done it. Yeah. And even now, if we're a bit short staffed or a bit, you know, busy, I'll go down, I'll pack a box. I'll sit with my accounts team. I, that's one of the nice things about a sort of family run close company is everyone does step in. So, and what's interesting about you saying that, and I, I'm very much the same is when you, when you see a gap that's needed to be filled, you will step in and, and do that. Yeah. And it, that's actually an incredibly good way to lead people. Yeah. Because there you see that you'll step in and mm. do it and very happy to do so. Yeah. Um, which encourages them at the same time. hundred percent. You know, so I think it's a that's teamwork, uh, yeah, right? That yeah, is it's a, a really good way I mean, to I, lead. I use this term, but Dave always says to me, it's not such a nice term, but I say I'm a whole fella. And I think actually when you are the manager or, or owner, probably more than a manager, but when you own the company, someone leaves or someone's off sick or you're like, okay, no problems. You just have to get it done. It's not a question of like, oh, I'm too good to do that or I can't do that. You just find a way. And I am very much a person that if I want to learn something, I'll just go and find a way to learn it because mm. I hate not knowing something that I want to know. So yeah, I think because I'm that type of person and Dave is also, and both of us did not come from university, from business school. Neither of us have got degrees. Dave left school at 15 with about one formal, you know, result in his GCSEs. And he's one of the best businessmen I've ever met. Obviously, I'm biased. He's my husband. But both of us are very much just like, if we don't know it, we'll go and learn it. And that's how we've run the business, which at times has been interesting. It would have been nice perhaps to have, you know, a qualification with some knowledge to fall back on. But what's nice is we've got a lot of friends around us who run businesses that we can always just lean on. And I do. Mm. I lean on them and I ask their opinion or their advice if they've been through sort of a similar situation. Growing pains normally, which I'm sure you know, as company gets bigger, you get to stages where money and staff aren't in the right balance and you yes. need to sort of find a way to get through that. So, yeah. 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 I'm going to take a guess that you've got a fairly stable workforce. We have. We are yeah. actually going through a shift at the moment. We've got three okay. ladies who are maternity or one's actually just come back from maternity, which is so interesting. But yeah, we have a team of 25 and the majority of them have been with us over 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah. and Dave's sister still works for us. She's head of our HR and she's also Dave and I's um, PA. Amazing. She's probably the only person who could cope with Dave and I, <laughs> to be honest. Um, she is the person who makes the cogs in Dave and I's life's were around. Um, and then Dave's auntie still works for us. She works part-time in accounts. Um, and David's sister's childhood best friend still works for us. Yeah. So it's still very much a family feel, but unfortunately, as the company gets bigger, you lose the family closeness because obviously those people aren't your family and you need to treat them in a very fair, 
straight way. Mm. In fact, I saw something the other day on LinkedIn, the guy who started Netflix, I don't mm -hmm. know, um, Mark Randolph, I'm just reading his book, actually, he's so funny and very interesting. Yeah, He was saying that there's no such thing as like a family unit in a company. Actually, you're a sports team because you don't fire your family. And unfortunately, sometimes you do have to fire people. So in a sports team, your job is to just put forward the best team for the job at the time. And that's so true. And that is what we're like. As I say, everyone gets down, packs up charts. Everyone's packing up Christmas presents. Every, you know, if we're short staffed, everyone in our team's the same. And when I recruit, that is what I look for. If you've never seen a super yacht before, it doesn't matter. If you're the right person, that's what makes you fit in and you know gives the service that we provide. Yeah, very cool. Taking a break from that uh, interview for just a moment to share with you something that has been very exciting that we launched in 2023, um, and that is Freedom Boat Club at uh, our marina at Bobbin Head, a Pitwater location, and also at Empire Marina Lake Macquarie. Now, what is Freedom Boat Club? Well, it's a pretty exciting concept that brings boating to so many more people, which is why we decided it would be a great thing to do. You see, it's a, it's a joining fee and then a monthly fee, and that allows you to use a selection of boats at your club location. And then it also allows you to go boating at over 400 club locations around the world. So uh, they're day boats, they're 24 foot-ish. They vary from a trophy fishing boat to a sea ray, fast and wonderful family boat to a, you know, there might be ribs, there might be pontoon boats in other locations. There's all sorts of different boats that are appropriate for the location that they're in. And it's day use only, but uh, I've got to say, I actually have a big boat on the harbour and I ha hardly ever use it overnight. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't use it overnight. I only use it for the day. So that's a perfect example where people think they want an overnight boat, but in actual fact, they end up in a day boat. So um, that's Freedom Boat Club. It's a really exciting concept. I love it because we train you how to drive the boat. We get your boat license if you need it as well. We take care of the boat, we clean the boat, we refuel the boat, you just pay for the fuel. So you literally rock up, drive the boat away, enjoy your day out on the water, come back and don't have to worry about that boat in any way, shape or form. It's kind of cool. So if you'd like to get into Freedom Boat Club at our locations at Bobbin Head, Pitwater and indeed Lake Macquarie, then give us a buzz on 029457-2001 or inquire at curious at freedomboatclub.com. It would be lovely to have you as part of the club because it's a community as well, which is just lovely. We do events and fun things for the club members as well. So that really means I can see you on the water soon. Join Freedom Boat Club as soon as you can. So you're providing navigation to super yachts. Um, have you actually spent time on super yachts yourself? No. 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 Okay. And only two people who work for us have ever had jobs 
even in that realm. Because what I'm trying to illustrate here is that you don't have to come from a super yacht no. space to be involved in a super yeah, yacht business. 100%. As yeah. I say, for me, when I recruit, because what we do is so niche as well, it's very it would be very rare for me to interview someone who's done the exact job before. In fact, there's only one person that works for us who came from a competitor. So actually what I look for is the right character and the right skill set and the right sort of ethos as in, I don't mind if it's five o'clock, I'm going to stay an extra five minutes to help or so-and-so next door, they're having a really tough time. I'm going to help them out. That's what's important. Yeah. And actually when I speak to our clients, um, the yacht managers who look after them, that's what they say. They always go above and beyond. Oh, I, I phoned the yacht manager. She was making tea for her kids, but she helped me and she did this and did that. And, you know, they're always the type of character that wants to go one step further. So I worked in a brokerage, but I, I didn't sail boats myself, nor did Dave. Um, and yeah, apart from we've got one guy who's in the Navy and that's pretty much it. No mm. one else has got any experience before. So interesting. You can learn it all. Yeah. And and yeah, again, we do the same thing. We hire on attitude and then yeah. you can you can train the rest. But the the attitude and the work ethic and the ethos and the, the yeah. approach to and the customer service yeah, to, is to incredibly. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. also, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the UK, customer service is terrible. Mm. Really bad and actually to be in service people think is not a sort of very highly rated job and what we do we're providing the ultimate customer service we are providing a service to captains and chief officers who have owners who have never said you know never had no said to them mm. so when they phone us and say yeah the boss wanted to go to the Seychelles but now they want to go to Egypt because the diving's better there I need everything now we can never say no ever because if he, if the captain can't do that for the owner, then they're in a difficult situation. So we've actually built our reputation on going above and beyond and never saying no. But the downside is it, of it is, is that all of our team now have become these customer service perfectionists. And I really mean that, that now they, they're always moaning about customer service outside of our company. They're <laughs> no, like, right? oh, I went and bought a bed and I got terrible customer service. They're supposed to phone me back and they didn't. But you, you do just become so disappointed because yeah. the super industry, there isn't subpar service. You won't have a client. No. If we mess up, we don't deliver they'll go somewhere else or, you know, so it's just, it is perfecting the customer service. Absolutely. Cause yeah, you're dealing with a, a very high end client. The highest end. Yeah. So, yeah. um, they really are used to having what they want and want it now because yeah. often they're actually incredibly hardworking people that have achieved mm -hmm. what they've achieved yeah. and they've done that by working incredibly hard as yeah. well, haven't they? So, And I think also what is so interesting when you, we don't deal with the owners directly, but obviously we know who the owners are of all the boats. And if you wrote them all down, these people all have something in common. They're all time poor and okay, so they might have a plane or different houses, but when they want to get on their boat with their family for a two week holiday, they want to get on. They don't want to know who we are. They don't want to know what we do. They just want to get on and enjoy it. If they know who we are, normally that means there's a problem. Yeah. So for us, it is about making sure that we can always just do that step ahead. We've done hilarious things. We've flown suitcases of charts here, there and everywhere. We've sent people, you know, to deliver stuff. Like if we can, we will. Uh, it's not always possible. There are some impossible situations, but normally we can try and work it out. So. Yeah. 
yeah, like that moment in what was it, Devil Wears Prada's when she's standing in the exactly, airport and she's yeah. saying, Oh, it's just a breeze. Yeah. Just get me on an aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. No, we can't get the chats out, yeah. out there right now because you're in a hurricane. The only thing we can't control <laughs> is the weather, but we're working on it. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So Compass, tell me about that. That's your super yacht navigation hub. Yes. You refer to it. That don't also you? has a funny story. So yeah. Dave and I, about 10 years ago, were sitting across the dinner table, as usual, talking about work, because we both love talking about work. <laughs> and at the time we were renting a software from a competitor and value add reselling it to our clients. But the problem was, is we have this super close relationship with our clients that if something breaks, they phone us. So we were supporting this software, which was just so clunky, the exact opposite of intuitive, not user-friendly. It was just hard work. So it was taking a lot of manpower from us, extremely frustrating for the client, so frustrating for us. We sat across the table and we said, we need to build our own. But at the time we had no money and we were like, okay, we need to think about this. How can we do it? We said, look, you know, as you do as a business owner, you're like, can I refinance this? But, but we didn't have enough money. We didn't have... It wasn't the right time. Fast forward maybe three, four years and um, a developer approached us who'd worked for a competitor. So we knew him from when he worked for the competitor. He said, I've started building a software, but it's it's blank. It's white label. It's on the shelf. We can make it into what you want. So Dave and I were like, we've got to do it because mm. this is just so frustrating. And the clients are frustrated and they're phoning us and telling us. And we're like, we know. How bad is that having to say we know, <laughs> know. it's rubbish, yeah. but we can't do anything about it. And we would ask the, the the developers from that software, we'd say, could you change this to make it more intuitive? Three months later, they'd still be umming and ahhing about it. Whereas the difference for Dave and I is both of us make the decisions together. So if we want to change something, if I want to change the logo to purple and pink, I can make that decision today and it's done. Yes. So we knew if we could put the finance in place and build this software, it would be great. So we did. The developers we still work with now, Ewan and Michael, they're amazing. They cope very well with Dave, <laughs> who's quite sort of not understanding of how developing works. He'll say to them, can we move this button from here to here? Yeah, that will take six weeks. Six weeks, it's just moving a button. <laughs> so um, yeah, we still work with them now. They're really great guys and they've done such a great job. And we have um, a head of our digital department, Stuart, who's been absolutely essential in the building of the software with Dave, but it is Dave's vision. He is a, a visionary in yeah. my eyes when it comes to this. He had it all planned out in his mind how he would want it. And then we just went to clients and we said, right, tell us what you love, tell us what you hate. And we just used them. We got free R&D from them and they've been amazing. And still now they, they will help us if we're launching a new product. But what's amazing about the software is now is that sort of six years on, we're now signing clients, not because of the service we provide, whereas always we used to sign clients because you would get the one-to-one -one yacht manager, although we still do. But now people come to us because the software is so good. And that is amazing. That's for us. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And actually, although there's other competitors that do similar to what we do, the software is now so far out from what anyone else is doing that, yeah, I mean, once normally... Once people start using it, they stay with us, which is great. Yeah. So there was something you mentioned there, the one-to-one -one yacht manager. Tell me about that. Yeah. So when you sign as a client with DSNM for management, you get designated a person and that person is your yacht manager. You're on WhatsApp with them. You email them. If you want to order something, you phone that person. If you want to change something or check something, you just have that one person. And that yacht manager has about 50 clients. 
So you're sort of that PA for each boat. And that historically has always been how we've really set ourselves apart from other people because at five o'clock, our yacht managers still answer the phone. Seven o'clock, Saturday night, they'll still answer the phone. Whereas a lot of our other competitors, their structure doesn't um, suit that. So at 4.30 on a Friday, they've gone home, which is fine for them, but not great if you're a captain that suddenly realizes boss wants to go to a beach with whiter sand and you don't have the chart to get him there and your manager's gone home. So yeah, yeah. we do get some emergency messages and calls <laughs> in the night, Sunday mornings. The funniest one is when Dave will answer the phone and he'll say, you know that it's uh, Sunday morning at 11 and the captain will say, oh my God, I'm so sorry, you know, because they work seven days a week. Yeah. Sunday isn't even a thing Doesn't even factor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, let's talk about that for a moment because that is a bit of an issue generally within the working space now because yeah. of the whole working at home and how do you manage that continually? I know I have, I'm continually on, yeah. right? And um, I think I've been on for about 20 years. I yeah. can't remember. I thought this is the first time I've turned my phone off. I didn't even turn it off when I got married. I was WhatsApping in the car from the church to the reception. It was Blackberry back then. So I was BB messaging. But oh, I was a Blackberry yeah, gal. I do I love know, my Blackberry. I was gutted when we got rid of those. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if you own your own business, you're never off, even mm. on holiday. And to be honest, it is such a trendy conversation at the moment. And actually, I was talking to a captain about it last night. Um, I don't mind. I love my job. Um, the day I gave birth to my son, I was WhatsApping on my way down to surgery. So it's just, it's Dave and I live and breathe it. And we sit over the dinner table and we talk. And I think that's how we manage it. I think if one of us didn't feel that passionately, then actually it wouldn't work. But because we both feel like that, I could sit and talk about work with you know him all night. Yeah. Only occasionally I have to say to him, okay, you've got one last work question left before I just want to talk about something <laughs> else. But we both love it so much that actually it's not a problem. Yeah. But you do have to monitor it slightly because otherwise, yeah, you, it's, I think since becoming a parent, it's become more apparent how much both of us work because now we have a real reason to try and not work as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you saying about being on the BlackBerry before you. Yeah, I, I was the same. I was on a phone. I've got a photo my husband took of me on my BlackBerry on the really? phone talking to somebody. Um, and I'm in labour and I'm just about no. to go down to the theatre. <laughs> so, Doing so, your breathing yeah. through the black. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, so, um, so, yeah, we were, uh, yeah, we those that love what we do, we do. We, when you own yeah. the business, there is just never There's an no off choice. button ever. Yeah. 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 And I think over the last few years, we've had some really horrific worldwide things happen. We have, I say horrific, Brexit for us was not great. It was very stressful. Overnight, suddenly our whole business structure had to sort of be reevaluated because we shipped from the UK outside of the UK. And then we had COVID. I was pregnant during COVID and um, overnight the lights just turned off. Our boats couldn't move. So wow. Dave and I were sitting there with a, our first child on the way, 25 staff, <laughs> thinking, okay, we could probably ride this out for maybe three months. But after that, you know, it's not going to be great. And okay, looking back, it was probably a positive because we reevaluated the whole company. I went through everyone's job with a fine tooth comb, every finance, every sheet of paper we printed on, 
every toilet roll we bought, I went through everything. And it gave us an opportunity to sit back and say, where do we want to be in five years? But it was very stressful. And yeah. then I had Louis in the middle of the summer and uh, we were in lockdown in the UK, so we couldn't have any family. So I had no maternity leave at all. And I will regret that for the rest of my life because I had planned to take some time off, maybe not switch my phone off, but take some time off at the office. And I just couldn't yeah, because we were sort of very precariously waiting to see what was going to happen. Yeah, fair um, enough. And now, of course, we've got the situation, the terrible war that's happening with Ukraine and Russia, which also has affected us. Obviously, a lot more people have been affected. But in the business scheme of things, it's also been a really challenging time. So mm. it has been a few years of continuing things that have been challenging as a business owner, probably as it has been also for you guys. And I do think it's changed slightly the way I look at work. I'm much harder skinned now to things that happen because when I walk through the door at five o'clock and my little boy runs up to me, mama, mama, I've missed you. I then I'm like, okay, work can wait. Yes. No one's going to die. Yes. I need to be mum. Yeah. And I'm a better mum if I've had a day at work and I come home and be a mum. Yeah. So it does switch things up a bit. Yeah, I use that no one's going to die yeah. thing too. Well, yeah, yeah, I always say to the girls in the office, you know, they're such workaholic perfectionists. They're like, we want to make sure like, we're making holidays for billionaires. And I love what we do. And I want to make everyone happy and I want to service our clients. But ultimately, it's not worth you being this upset over because, you know, if someone's forgotten to order something and we're trying to help them out, yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah. They'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just delay their trip by a day, maybe, you know, fly somewhere else or something. But yeah, I suppose it's the type of person we employ. They yeah. care, which is important. That is lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So so on that, you know, they do care. They're they're working funny hours and so on yeah. and so forth. How do you sort of balance that out for them? Yeah. So it's easier now, I think, because actually we, because of Compass, our software is so good. It breaks, well, it never breaks. I yeah. say that touch wood. <laughs> I'm probably going to go back to the stand and pause Stuart's and be like, oh my God, Compass is broken. Um, but because it doesn't break and it's so easy to use, actually we get a lot less um, emergency phone calls. And what we tend to do is when a yacht manager comes to work for us, we pay probably 20% better than any other competitor. Okay. And for that, then there's an expectation that you might answer the odd email or the phone calls or things like that. Yeah. And years ago, the girls would go on holiday and they say, we'll take our laptops. And we'd be like, okay, because we all did it. Yeah. Whereas now we're very much like, no, if you go and leave, you leave your computer. We have a buddy system where your inbox is covered. Everybody needs holiday. Yeah. You know, apart from Dave and I, and it's our choice to own a company. So it's fine if we, you know, we take a break, we take our phones, whatever. But for the team, definitely, I'm like, no, you need a break. What normally happens is they they say, no, I'm fine, but then they have a break and they come back and they're far more refreshed. So mm. yeah. I don't think there's such a thing as a work-life balance. I think that that's a fallacy that someone's made up to probably make a lot of people feel bad about themselves. Or write a book about it. Exactly. <laughs> um definitely as a parent now, there is no there's no balance. If you look up balance in the dictionary, the definition doesn't fit with what you're trying to achieve. No. I call it the the work in progress, working life balancing act because I think every day I come home and I think, have I put enough time into being a mum? 
Have I put enough time into working? Have I put enough time into being a friend? Have I put enough time into myself? Have I put enough time into being a wife? And then normally you'll say, well, I've done really well at that one today, but not so well at that one. So tomorrow I'm going to do that. And that is how I, in the last probably 10 years, I think, especially now I've just turned 40 and I feel like you look at life totally different, becoming a parent, turning 40, it's a big milestone. There's no such thing as work-life balance. And I say it the same to my team. We've got a lot of women who work for us, a lot of them with children. And ultimately you just, you're doing your best and that's all you can do. And that's what I say to myself all the time. I'm just doing my best. Yeah. And if I go to bed at night and think I'm not sort of smashing it in every department, but I am doing my best, then I can go to sleep knowing I'm doing a good job. Yeah. And I think that's something we just have to accept. I, yeah. I totally agree with you. I, th- I always say that, um, we can do it all, yeah, but not all at the same time. No, of course not. <laughs> so, so we, we just focus on what we need to focus mm-hmm. on at the time. Being a business owner does allow you a certain amount of flexibility, yeah. which is great. Of course. That's um, one of the main benefits yeah, of being so a business when, owner. So when you have small children, for example, you can go to their little concert at school, yeah. but it just means you're working at 10.30 at night instead yeah, of working exactly. there. So I think that's um, a, a flexibility we have, but it, the 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 offside, if you like, yeah. is that we are on all the time. Yeah. 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 Definitely the flexibility. I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself through the job I do without having that benefit yeah. because actually now it does change your perception when you become a parent and you get slightly older that you just think, okay, people around you, like parents and people get sick and they pass away and suddenly you're like, okay, what am I doing this for? You know, I do love my job, but what is the ultimate goal here? Uh, Is it to become a millionaire? Is it just, you know, I don't know, to buy a new house or whatever? And you're right. The little things like going to the concerts, like I try and do nursery drop. My son goes to nursery three mornings a week. That 15 minutes in the car, chatting rubbish, singing Postman Pat, talking about what he's going to do sets me up for the day. I walk into the office in a good mood because I've had that 15 minutes with him. And if he needs me, I will drop what I'm doing, but I pick it back up later. So you're right. It's the balancing act. It's hundred yeah. percent. Right. Yeah. It's funny the you say that the, the moments in the car with kids are actually very, very special. And, and you'll notice when they get older, um, and I say this to all the mums and dads out there, when they get to teenagers, the only time they will talk to you <laughs> is when you're taking them to sport the taxi service. in the car because they're not looking at you. Yeah. So that so they will they will quite happily have a conversation with you, yeah. which at the rest of the day it's it's uh, how was your day? Good. What did you do? Stuff. That's it. <laughs> that's that's all you get. Yeah. So um, and yeah, then you, it's, you it's become the you taxi that. service, and like you say, you treasure those moments because yeah. it's time with them. Yeah. Yeah. And in Australia, we have to teach our children. Uh, they have to do a hundred hours of driving with as a learner. Right. So it's that a good idea. that as a parent is actually a very special time because you're you have to do it. Yeah. And so you get a whole bunch of time with your with your teenagers, which they would not normally give you. No. So no. That's the other so, thing yeah. I think like, with our son. The the moments where he wants to be with us, they don't last long, do they? They get to a certain age and they're not interested in cuddling and they're not interested in sitting on your lap. And so often in the evening, like I'll maybe be on my phone and he'll come over and say, Mama, I want to sit on you. And I think, what am I doing? Put your phone down, be with him in this moment. He goes to bed at seven, you can pick it back up. 
And he is very good at reminding us, I think, to live a bit more in the moment and to put things to the side. Ultimately, obviously, he'll always be our priority, but work is the other baby in our life, and it has been for so long. So it's a really nice um, sort of, not a wake-up call, but a reminder about why we're doing it. Yeah. Because ultimately, we're doing all this work to provide him with the best life we can. So, yeah. So obviously, you've got... um an amazing client base, yes. but you're continuously advertising and, and putting your company out there because we can't, we can't be guaranteed that that client is going to stay with us or that no, sure. they're going to sell their yacht and, and then they're yeah, going to change in that process. Um, is there a particular strategy that you as a company have taken on as, as a marketing? Because you're, you're, it's a very target market very, that yeah. you're working towards. Only so, really chief officers, navigating officers and captains are our clients. So yeah. they say owners don't really know what we do uh, and yacht managers. So we work with all the big yacht management companies and some of the smaller boutique ones. What's interesting um, is up until about two, three years ago, we did no advertising at all, no marketing, no advertising. We just didn't need to because we were growing very organically and Dave and I were very happy with just signing X amount of clients a year. We were just a family run business. It was all much more sort of, you know, um, relaxed, let's say. And the captain would sign on one boat, then he may get fired or he may leave. And then he'd phone us up the next day and say, I've been fired from Motoyop ABC. Uh, I'm now on DAC and I want to sign. So then we organically just grew with um, sort of crew turnover. And if a boat got sold, normally the boat would stay with us. And then when the crew went to the next boat, they would also sign with us. So for years, we just grew very organically. And then probably after, Bre well, probably just before Brexit, we were starting to think about more of a strategy because we'd built Compass. We needed to sort of grow the fleet to sort of pay for Compass. So we started doing a lot more advertising and marketing. And as the whole filler that I am, I was doing all the marketing. I had a little bit of experience, you know, no qualifications, and just a little bit of experience from previous jobs. And then we got to the point, I was like, okay, digital marketing's everywhere. It's getting bigger. People are doing podcasts and all these sorts of things. We need to get a professional in. So we worked with a freelance for about a year. And then we took on someone full time who's here today, Adam. And, um, yeah, so now we have a strategy in place and we're very targeted with what we're doing because, like you say, the people that we're trying to sign are a certain type of person and really we don't need to speak with the purser or the head stew or anything like that. So we're now much more active and much more sort of intentional with what we're doing. So, And, and are you doing that? Because obviously you've got your clients that you need to target to specifically, but I know people tend to look at social medias or, or um, LinkedIn or podcasts and so on as a, as, as a way of verifying the level of service that client, that that, that business has, or, or kind of just making sure that that's a good business. Yeah, no, I think that's a hundred percent, a hundred percent the situation for us. Mm. I don't think that a captain goes on to LinkedIn or Instagram and thinks, oh, I need a new chart provider. Let me find them there. I don't think that happens ever maybe once in a blue moon. It, for us, it's about brand awareness and constantly keeping the conversation of what we're doing with Compass going. And we've done the, the software, annoyingly for me, Dave is a person who can never stand still. 
So it's exciting most of the time. Sometimes I'm like, okay, can we just, we've built this now, let's just enjoy it. But the moment that a new feature comes out on Compass, he's already thought about what we're doing next. So keeping that conversation going is really why we do all the things that we do, why Adam puts together, you know, the videos and we chat with clients. And, and the great thing is a lot of our clients love to tell us what they love about Compass, which nowadays is what social media is about, isn't it? Having yeah. someone telling other people that they love your product and they are a verified captain or a verified chief officer. Yeah. So yeah, for us, um, it's just about brand awareness. If a captain wanted to change supplier, there's probably only four in the world that service like we do, but not not the same as we do. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, so probably he would already know who they were anyway. Or I know I've there's lots of WhatsApp groups that some of our captains are in with, you know, hundreds of captains and they'll put in like, I need a new chart supplier. And we get a lot of business, a lot from recommendation and from crew moving. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. that's so good. Um, so navigates, navigates, navigates. Yeah. So when the UKHO um, announced about the chart production uh, being removed, um, we had a lot of boats straight away, not panicking, but thinking, okay, well, that's only sort of six. This is when it was going to be 2026. There's only sort of six refit periods. What are we going to do? Or, and, um, we've been already working with an engineer who's the best. He's a super specialist in ECDIS and uh, refits and things like that. We've been working a lot with him, um, helping clients before to go forward and have bridge refits. And we kept getting approached and Dave and I were like, there's a business here that we could help our current clients make the transition to digital, but because they trust us already, they've been with us 10 years or whatever, they only want to use us. We'll say, oh, we've got this engineer. They'll say, no, no, can you help us? So um, because we had so much spare time, we thought it'd be great to start another business. <laughs> <laughs> so much spare uh, time. Yeah, exactly. I just added another four hours to my day. Um, <laughs> and what was great was um, we, again, started organically. We registered the company. We did all our research. We found out the best people we wanted to work with. We went out. We found the best suppliers and hardware companies. We are like, that's who we want to align with. That's what we want to recommend because the hardware side fits very nicely with what DSNM does because we run our software on the hardware. So um, the company's been going just over a year. And then about six months ago, my brother came to work for us. He's head project manager now, which is amazing. So we work with Dave's sister, my brother. So that's really lovely. And yeah, the company's going very well at the moment. And we've got, I think, seven projects down and we've got a few coming up in 2024. And so yeah, it's going well so far. <laughs> Very good. So you're really following the Richard Branson motto of, of do what you love and with the people you love, aren't you? Yeah. 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 I, it yeah. is amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Working with your partner and with your family does have its own um, issues occasionally. Dave and I are very different people and we have very different roles. So my role is operational. His is more um, with suppliers and development of the software. So I do all the staff management, finance, branding, all that marketing, that sort of thing. He has more contracts with suppliers. Occasionally he'll step into my lane and I'll tell him to get out. <laughs> and occasionally I might do the same to him and he'll probably more tactfully tell me to get out. <laughs> 
Um, but actually, because we're so different, we work really well together. And then with uh, his sister and my brother, what's amazing is, is when things go wrong or things go right, no one wants it to work as much as Dave and I or our family. Yes, so exactly right. So they both are super hardworking. They cope with Dave and I, which is, you know, probably quite difficult sometimes. <laughs> and they they want it to be a success just as much as us. And yeah. when it is a success, how amazing to be able to share it with the people you love. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. It's great. So Most good. Most of the time. <laughs> so good. So Alicia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely tell, to chat. Tell everyone how they can find you. Uh, well, we are on Instagram, DSNM LTD, and we're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn also. And Navigates is on LinkedIn and Instagram too. And then our websites obviously are dsnmltd.com and navigates.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. It's a really interesting subject matter that we haven't yet covered on the podcast. So it's really good to go into the depth of it and understand it a little bit for our uh, for our uh, listeners. So really good. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. You can advertise your business right here on the Boat Princess podcast. We have a targeted audience of boaters and those in the boating industry that you can talk to through our advertising in between interviews or perhaps throughout the season as a message in our intros and outros. So if you'd like to get involved in getting your business advertised on the Boat Princess podcast, which has a worldwide audience of around 31,000 listeners a month, then we'd love to hear from you. Contact us on info at theboatprincess.com. We offer packages from one announcement on one podcast right up to the entire season. I look forward to sharing a message about your amazing business to our audience. That's another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. Been great having your ears listening to us. I will see you on the water soon.